Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Hello and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Micah Frame on crypto taxes. First things first, you'll notice that it's been a few weeks since I've released a podcast. The next six episodes, including this one, were recorded in early November. And honestly, with the FTX SBF fiasco, I haven't been able to publish any of these in a timely manner. So I have a few episodes queued up and I'll link a great overview to what happened with FTX in the show notes, but it's been discussed as ad nauseum at this point. So the key points here to remember are crypto is not broken. FTX was a centralized exchange that blew itself up. People trusted SBF, but sexes centralized exchanges are run by humans and ego, greed, nefarious intentions come into play. Um, Yes, there's probably some more collateral damage to the industry, but it will survive. And Web3 really isn't going anywhere. It's a bear market, yes, but it's not a crypto winter with smart entrepreneurs entering every day, tools and infrastructure being built, all-time high developer activity, and tons of VC money waiting to deploy. It's not going anywhere. Check out the link in the show notes on the summary. It's from Punk6529. I think he does a great job. Okay, crypto taxes. This episode, I'll get off my soapbox at this point. In this episode, we talk about why crypto taxes are so difficult. That's it. That's the point. They're not easy. It's early. For example, centralized exchanges, people using names, they blowing up, whatever. But also the tools that you have to do your crypto taxes. We're covering in this episode some of the biggest misconceptions or mistakes that people make when doing their crypto taxes. How to get smarter about taxes this year. So this is timely before the end of the year. There's some things you can do, tax loss harvesting. But we also, I, I really enjoyed this conversation going into more detail on some of the specifics like wash sale rules, NFTs taxed as collectibles, FBAR, airdrops, staking income, etc. There's a lot here. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to take a second to thank you for being a listener. I know I'm horribly inconsistent at times in producing these. Come on, it's a, it's a side thing and I do enjoy it, but I really appreciate your listenership and appreciate all the messages, comments, likes, subscribes, all of them. So thank you. Okay, enjoy the episode with Micah on crypto taxes. Micah, welcome to the Alta Asset Allocation Podcast. Excited to have you on today, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, and you know the the standard disclaimer: none of this is legal, tax, accounting advice. Consult with your own accountant. You are an accountant, a CPA, but you know you're not the individual listener's accountant. And yeah. I'm sure their their individual tax considerations vary widely. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about crypto and taxes today, but. Definitely want to float that one out there before we get going. Right. Um, let's start off. You're crypto obsessed. So let's start off with your background, how you got interested in crypto and keep it you know, somewhat short and then we'll dive right sure. into it. Yeah. So I first got involved in crypto with the ICO craze in 2017, threw in three grand, quickly turned into one grand. And then I forgot about it for a few years. And then when the market started to turn around in 2020, that one grand had turned into six or nine grand somewhere around there. And right at that time, a client of mine was involved in a node project. And I always say 
in the years preceding that, I always understood that blockchain technology was big. Smart people said it was the future, but I had a really hard time understanding why the individual tokens had value. Because, yeah, blockchain itself, but why does fill in the blank token, why does that have value, especially when people could just fork, fork the technology? This was, And that was the first project where it just it clicked and I really understood. So then I started diving into, you know, th that was sort of the red pill. And I started diving more and more into it and very quickly realized there's no tax advice out there because I'm, I'm wondering for myself and I'm having more and more clients who are getting involved in crypto and very, very quickly realized the guidance is scant. And even I, I love being a crypto investor. I love just the space in general, but quickly realized that the tax side is more of an opportunity than even the investment side. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that, like the fish rots from the head, right? That feels like there's unclear guidance from the very, very top, which like trickles all the way yeah. down into this somewhat opaque, difficult concept for most people anyways, <laughs> just makes mm -hmm. it, it, it and some of the tools, the infrastructure required to like actually do your taxes across multiple exchanges and blockchains oh, yeah. and layers and all of this stuff like gets very very confusing very quickly so i think yeah, uh, yeah it's a it's a it's an area where we need a lot of help as crypto people <laughs> and so let's start off just by setting the stage with uh, perhaps like definitions within the crypto world or like principles that we should keep in mind before we like journey into this world of crypto taxation like is it treated yeah. as property or currency like those sorts of things well well that that's the difficulty right <laughs> that's even like the first question that it is so <laughs> oh why are people confused <laughs> yeah. even that which is like a very fundamental question we don't have great clarity on because not even getting into the sec complaint right now where they're claiming ripple and these other things are, are unregistered securities. But even on the tax side, there, there was a case that unfortunately recently got dismissed by the U.S. District Court where it was the Jarrett versus USA case, the couple who had Tezos tokens. We were really all hoping that would give us a lot a lot of clarity on what how staking income should be taxed. And unfortunately, the IRS issued them a refund the couple tried to just deny the, the the couple tried not to accept the refund and keep the case going. And the court said, we're not here to offer an advisory opinion. We're here. You sued for a refund of your tax. The IRS gave it to you. The 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 case is moved. So that was a real kind of blow to all of us hoping for some more clarity. The reason I bring that up is that in when the IRS and the little bit of guidance they've given. And in that case, when the couple was filing their complaint, they almost quoted the IRS verbatim saying cryptocurrency is for federal tax purposes considered property because that's what the IRS says on their on their FAQ. And the IRS, in their response, most people didn't catch this or cover it. The IRS denied that cryptocurrency in all cases is considered property. So even just to the most baseline thing of is this property is a security? that's being debated right now. So right now, the way we have to treat it is as property. That's the IRS guidance the IRS has issued. And there's nothing authoritative that is contradicting that. But it's also something that's likely to change as regulation becomes clearer and more comes out. But for now, really long-winded answer, for now, it's considered property.
No, but I think this long-winded answer kind of sets the the stage for why this is so confusing, right? Yeah. So, and then for me, when thinking crypto is property, you know, I it starts making me think of like 1031 exchanges and all of these like specific tax code that is specific for real estate property. But mm -hmm. perhaps let's go down that rabbit hole a bit because that's not the yeah. case or or maybe it is. And I've been doing things wrong. No, unfortunately, it's not. And there, there's there's two reasons for that. One is that when they did the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018, that was right after the ICO craze So and, and the crash that came after the ICO craze. So when they were doing the re revising the tax code, they very specifically said that you can only do 1031 exchanges for tangible property. So intangible assets like crypto don't qualify. But interestingly, some people asked, okay, that's 2018 forward. What about... What about before that? Could you have done a 1031 exchange if they get audited or whatever for prior years? Could they have done it? And the IRS a couple of years ago said no. And they compared Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum because you know the IRS is five years behind. So Litecoin was a big was was one of the big boys. It's not just the IRS, man. You see these like new like Fidelity is able to include include cryptocurrencies like Litecoin, and you're like, what the hell is going on? But yeah, yeah. Right. So so anyway, they they compared the utility between those three tokens and they said even though they're all cryptocurrencies, the use case and utility for all these is different enough that we don't consider them like kind. And the, that that's in line with the way the IRS has typically treated like kind exchanges because they won't even if you're doing precious metals, gold and silver, they won't let you do 1031 exchanges because the use case for the two is different. So unfortunately, especially since coin for coin trades are taxable events. Unfortunately, you can't just claim these are 1031 exchanges that you're you're swapping. Yeah, and I think that is probably one of the biggest misconceptions I see when talking to people is, mm -hmm. you know, they say, oh, I thought it was only taxable when you go back to dollars or, or fiat yeah. or stable coins. And you're like, no, no, literally every transaction coin for coin is also a taxable event. And then... Yeah. um yeah, and we'll get into that because I think that's these like misconceptions are super, super important to kind of double click on. But I'd be curious, like staying on the crypto as property and and tan you know, not in an intangible property, what would be the implications if crypto was changed to being considered a currency from like a tax perspective? I don't know. No worries. That's well, I mean, that's pretty far out. And right now it is property. Yeah, we'll treat it like property. I guess we'll, right. uh, we'll I, I, deal with the repercussions if it is, in fact, changed. Yeah, that's not something we thought about as much just because it doesn't seem like that's the the way it's going to go. And that's something mm -hmm. I do need to look. I, I want to look at it. That's, that, you raise a very good question. Well, tight, hot, but hot, where where the where the legislators are moving it seems like there's going to be a division between some crypto be, continuing to be property and some of them falling in line to be securities or them trying to get all of them to be securities being considered a currency doesn't especially because it just crypto fails as a currency at least as it stands right now so that's not where the the whispers that we're hearing aren't about that being the route they'll take makes sense 
All right, let's just dive right into it. The big misconceptions that you see or hear with crypto and taxes and even like the number one mistake made by most people when thinking about their crypto taxes. Yeah, well, I mean, you 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 hit the ma the main one where people will think it's not taxable until they convert it back to a fiat currency. And that's that's one thing if you're just a hodler and you're just buying it and just leaving it alone because you're not having a taxable events. But if you are actively trading, if you're mining, if you're getting staking rewards or depo deposit rewards on a centralized exchange, all of those are taxable in real time. And the issue becomes when we've got as much volatility in the space as we do, you can have people who are having a bunch of realized taxable events and taxable income at, at whatever the price point was when they were, when, you know, when things are hot. And then they don't cash out because they don't think they'll have a tax bill. And then the market plummets. And you'll have cases where people have, I've seen someone who had a million dollars of realized gains and node income and other staking rewards, all, all this stuff. But they did not, they kept reinvesting it back into the projects that were making them that money. And then the projects go down 90%. So they've got a tax bill based on the income they were earning on a hot market but their reserves in their portfolio are 10% of what they were before and they don't have money to pay the tax bill. So one, being aware that of when these taxable events are is the, the main thing. And the second thing is, and this is crypto zealots don't like this because you always want to have the upside, but when you're having those realized taxable events, make sure you're cashing those out, a portion of it out to set aside for your tax bill. And we also tell people, please don't put it in stable coins because this is something you need to be able to access. And if you put it in UST or deposited USDC, even on Voyager or Celsius, then you're going to have a really bad time. So know, know that they're taxable events and cash out as you're earning and put it into an actual FTIC insured bank account so that you can pay when tax time comes. So those those would be the big ones. And I mean, for I'm a perfect example of this in 2021, right? You buy an NFT for next to nothing, sell it for five ETH when ETH is at $4,000. So you have a $20,000 gain, you're taxed $10,000 on it. But in the reality, you just have five ETH in your wallet, which now at current right. prices is $5,000. So I owe $10,000 on this trade and the value of all the assets that I brought in are sitting at $5,000. So I'm insolvent just yeah. on this one trade. So this multiplied across an entire portfolio for mm -hmm. somebody, if they're not pulling out a little into stables, into dollars in an FDIC <laughs> uh, yeah. account, like they're going to be totally, totally screwed when it comes to tax time. I've talked to many people that are in this situation. And fortunately, mm -hmm. you know, I set aside money, but uh, like it, it's frustrating for me to see this five ETH in my wallet that is worth $5,000 and know that I have a $10,000 taxable event on that. What can people in my, asking for a friend, but what can people in this sort of situation do to, to kind of take advantage, long-term holder, believe that ETH will be higher in the in, in the long run, but like want to take advantage of this, like, hey man, I've already paid $10,000 in taxes on this. It's worth five. You know, wash trading, I think was 
legal yeah. or, or yeah, wash trading was legal there for a bit. So what can somebody in this position do to, to limit their tax liability in future years and take advantage of this unfortunate situation? Right. Well, I mean, you, you hit on the main one as it stands now, and there have been several proposals to close this loophole, but crypto is not subject to wash sale rules right now. So when you're trying to take advantage of your losses with traditional securities, you've, you've got to wait the 31 days and you either have to, sometimes brokers will do stuff with options or some sort of similar asset to try to keep your market exposure. Or sometimes you're just out of the market for that month, hoping that there's not a bunch of upside that you're missing out on. With crypto, we don't have that difficulty. With crypto, at least for now, you're able to sell all the crypto you're holding at a loss, realize those losses, and then buy it right back. So with the way the market is right now, that's one of the main and pre pretty easy to execute things that we tell people to do. The only downside to that really is just whatever the exchange or the gas fees are going to be. So the losses you have need to be reasonably substantial just to justify the transaction fees but there, there's a huge amount of opportunity in that the other thing that we'll talk about that is a little counterintuitive and it doesn't help you for the, the 2021 gains but and it doesn't even inherently help you for the current year but it will help you in future years is since we're in such a bear market right now and most people are making way less than they were in previous years well the u.s tax system is progressive tax rate. So the more you make, the higher rate you're paying. And in a decent number of cases, we're actually advising clients to accelerate their income when they actually have the opportunity to do that. Because there are certain node projects and you also you obviously have control over when you're making your trades. But if you have the ability to have the taxable events hit now, there are certain circumstances where doing that will will save you significantly down the road and being kind of vague here so i'll give an example and it's an example that is a little too specific for this project but it gives kind of a a, a decent illustration of how it works the way that when you have node income and this is true of hard forks airdrops there, there's a term called when you have dominion and control so the irs says that when you have dominion and control over the asset that's when you have to claim it as taxable income well, one of the projects I love is, is Gala Games nodes, and there's also Connect node. They've got sort of related ecosystem, but Gala Games nodes, because it's right now on Ethereum and they're moving to their own blockchain, but given the gas fees of Ethereum, when they're giving you your node rewards every day, you, you don't want those to actually be on the blockchain because the gas fees are going to be more than what you're receiving. So it goes into the sort of treasure chest which, where you're almost getting a voucher that you can then redeem for the actual token on the blockchain. Well, given the, the principles of what the IRS has given us, our contention is that it's not a taxable event and, and you don't have dominion control until you mint it to the blockchain. So normally in a bull market, you're trying to defer that as much as possible. You don't want to mint those tokens because then you're going to have a taxable taxable income. But since the token is worth 10% of what it was last year, it can make a lot of sense to take the hit now, claim that income at three cents per coin versus the 50 or 60 cents it got to at its peak. And not only then are you reducing the amount of income, and you're also starting your holding period for capital gains purposes, so you can qualify for long-term capital gains. So that's one of the things where 
sometimes it makes sense to take the hit now, but when you do dispose of the tokens down the road, you'll end up paying significantly less. Gotcha. So, and that also like ties into wash trading. So if I have this, this like five ETH, you would just to, to, to wash sale, wash sale, not trading, sorry, but to, to trigger a wash sale here, which is allowed in crypto is would sell this ETH into USDC or a stable coin and then rebuy it back. And so I would lock in that loss that I sold mm -hmm. and then reestablish a new cost basis at that new purchase price. But so how, how do these like, how talk to me about these losses. So speaking to the audience yeah. here, presumably in 2021, there were massive gains, big taxable income. 2022, you're doing all of this smart stuff. You're capturing massive taxable losses. How do these losses, how often do they carry forward? For how long? What sort of gains yeah. can you use to offset them? Because can you use sure. these to offset earned income or does it have to be a certain class? Not much. So the you're able to use up to, if you don't have any capital gains to offset against them in the current year, you can use up to $3,000 to offset against your, what they call ordinary income. So your business income, W-2 wages, stuff like that. So in the current year, it doesn't always give you a huge benefit because it's just $3,000, but those losses don't go away. They just get carried forward indefinitely. So it's a, that's a strategy that sometimes doesn't say, especially in a bear market like this, you don't have a lot of capital gains a lot of times. So in the current year, it doesn't do a ton for you. But then if next year the market turns around and you're having a bunch of realized gains, you've just got those losses hanging out there waiting to be used. So then the transactions where you do have profit are effectively tax-free. So only $3,000 can be used to offset ordinary income, which is like earned yeah. income, W-2 or whatever. But an unlimited amount could be used to offset realized gains, which would be like capital yeah. capital gains, but not like interest income. Where would that be considered? That's going to be in that same sort of ordinary, ordinary. income bucket. So the okay. only thing you're going to be able to use this to offset against is either the $3,000 or other trading income you have. It's not going to be able to be used against staking income, liquidity pools, mining nodes, anything like that. Unfortunately, they're just in completely separate buckets. Gotcha. Yeah, because that three, like, I mean, you know, I know people that lost like seven figures in this whole Luna debacle. And it's like, oh, yeah, do oh, you get $3,000 every year for the rest of your life? It's like, I'm not going to live that long, man. <laughs> but it, it was the idea of them right. using that million dollar loss because it went from something to zero to offset any kind of realized gain. So I sell my house, I have a big realized gain, I can use those crypto losses to offset that. Yeah. Yeah. Assume, assuming you're your how there's a there is a primary residence exclusion if you've lived there oh, yeah. two out of the last five years but assuming that you have more than that in a gain or that it's a different you don't qualify for that for whatever reason yeah any any capital gains like that you can use to offset against it okay okay that makes sense no so that that this makes a lot of sense i'd be curious to go next i mean Keeping track of this is a bit of a disaster. So there's there's probably best practices checklist of like what to be doing during the year to help. Like I've actually started like this whole spreadsheet. Whenever I do a transaction, I like drop some notes in there so I can annotate 
what happened right. because it's hard to remember all this stuff, but that's pretty tedious. And there are softwares. Yeah. I've used all the flipping softwares, but like some don't support certain blockchains and some don't support other L2s or staking or, or right. these sorts of things. So let's share some like best practices for people so they can get ahead of this like pending wood chipper disaster that they walk into every yeah. every year. I mean, the main thing is going to be, I always say, if you're just trading on one, maybe even two centralized exchanges, you can probably just use the reports that they, they have because Coinbase and most of the centralized exchanges now are required to keep keep track of that. But if you're trading on true, true DeFi platforms, or if you've got 10 different accounts because you don't want to have all your money on FTX or Celsius or Voyager, and you want to have that spread out when you're making transfer you, they're not keeping track of your cost basis they're not keeping track of your holding period they're not doing any of that so you almost have to use one of these software programs like coinly or coin tracker or something like that and because doing it yourself when you're when you're trying to factor in the gas fees holding period all it, it's it's next to impossible to try to do it on your own like pulling it from the block explorer or something so you're almost required to use a software like that, but I always say it still feels like they're in beta testing. Like they'll get you like 90% of the way there a lot of times. So they'll get you close. It'll make it way easier than if you try to do it on your own, but you still have to go in and redline some stuff being like, oh, it didn't pick up the cost basis there. It didn't do that. And you still have to make some manual adjustments, but unfortunately that's kind of the, that's the best thing we can do. Cause I'm like you, I've tried out, probably a dozen of these things. And again, way better than doing it on your own. Still not a very complete solution, unfortunately. Yeah. Which one is your go-to? I mean, I ended up using, I've used cointracking.info, cointracker.io, Coinly, and then token tax are like the past four years. So it's like the evolution of me learning more with this stuff. Yeah. Usually coin tracker, coin, coin tracking.info. We actually really like if you are like a high frequency trader, just based on their pricing structure, because sometimes we have clients who will use trading bots and different things where they've got thousands of transactions. And most of these software companies charge you based on the volume of transactions. So if you went to, to coin tracker with that level of volume, you're probably looking at like five or ten thousand dollars or something pretty obscene to do it versus I think coin tracking.info is like it caps at like four or five hundred dollars for the year. Like they're they're unlimited is is pretty generous. So those are the three we've had the best success with. I know a few people who really like Zen Ledger, um, but I, I don't I, I didn't use that for very long, but it they're they're all mostly the same. It, like it, it, any of those top if you if you google like top 10 they're all very similar except for pricing yeah and i i think zen ledger was like the preferred partner of the irs which is why i use them but okay. honestly like it all feels <laughs> like funny. beta beta i mean who knows yeah so in addition to using a tracker kind of redlining it what else can people do during the year other than like have the knowledge um, of what's taxable and what's not like does it make sense to keep notes does it make sense to like do an internal audit for tax planning halfway through so you can like tax loss harvest if needed like what other what other yeah. things should we be thinking about well one thing just one last note on tracking is we tell people please do it throughout the year because it's really easy if you are doing it every week or two or three 
And because then you at least remember the context of what you were doing. If you try to do it at the end of the year and you've got thousands of transactions and projects you don't even remember anymore, it gets a lot harder. But what we'll do with clients is most all of our clients who either are crypto investors or small businesses, we have it to where they're on a service package where we meet with them quarterly and we just check in, see how the year is looking for their total income, and then we can make those maneuvers throughout the year. We, we'd advise to do that for most people just because, and again, this this is not for if you're you're hodling. If you're just not doing, don't have a lot of income and you're just looking at this as 10 years down the road, I want to sell this, you're fine. But if you have any sort of activity, like you said, tax loss harvesting, when we talked about accelerating income earlier, how to struck sometimes it can make sense to have your income in an entity of some sort because certain types of crypto income are considered business income, which is subject to what they call self-employment tax, which is both sides of Social Security and Medicare. So it's just checking in a little bit and then then you're able to assess the situ the situation and make those moves because once the year closes we lose about 90% of our maneuvering power and flexibility that's what was interesting as we've been having people come to us the the one thing that has stopped it, where clients drop off and don't don't actually become clients after the consult is that they don't have the money because they there's nothing we can do for 2021 we, there's a few things we can try to maneuver and how we categorize it. And, you know, if you're doing HIFO versus FIFO, like there, there's some things we got, but you have so much more control. Like so, so, so much more control if you do things before the year ends. So that's one, that's one of the main things is don't, don't think about in April, think about in October, November, December at the, at the latest. Say, this, this is crunch time probably to like realize some of those gap losses and, and make a significant impact mm -hmm. or, or, or like take advantage of these, these turbulent yeah. times, I suppose. Shifting gears a bit here, I hear two diametrically opposed views on the IRS. Like, so as we're talking through this, like none of the software's for retail work like the way that they should. It's confusing. It's hard. You have to annotate all of it. The IRS hired like 90,000 people for yeah. a couple. Of, I mean, the governments are broke, right? So they're going to try to get money wherever they can. Maybe in a bear market, it's less, less incentivizing to go after crypto people. But like, what's the general view of somebody that deals with these people that like the IRS is super on top of it? They're manning up. They're building this crazy AI that's going to scan all the blockchains and like find these low hanging fruits or like they're way far behind and it's going to take them forever to figure this stuff out. It's going to take them a while, but I think the the issue, the IRS, at least in my opinion right now, is in a, is just in a holding pattern. And we saw that with that Jarrett case in, in Tennessee, where the couple, the couple of the Tezos tokens. Because from the beginning, the IRS just really wanted that case to go away so they can kick the can down the road. And they haven't issued a ton of guidance, even on... You know, there's been no guidance on staking, NFTs, nodes, play to earn. All these things have been around for a good while now. There's nothing. And my theory on that is that they're, the IRS is much happier enforcing legislation that Congress has passed versus coming up with their own interpretation and then having to fight that out in court. So I think given the lack of funding the IRS has had, the complexity of crypto, them just really hoping Congress will give them their marching orders instead of trying to figure it out themselves. 
I think they're just taking this time, getting their AI ready, getting the infrastructure and the plan in place. And then they're going to go after all these people who aren't reporting it. And I think people confuse, I haven't been caught yet with, I can't be caught. And right now I think the IRS is, is just sort of preparing themselves. And if you have people who once, once they deploy all these agents and AI, it's one thing if you report report all your income, but maybe didn't do it perfectly right because there was no guidance. It's another thing if you're not reporting it at all. So I think some people are going to be the people who think, oh, well, I do everything on DeFi. I, everything's on MetaMask. They can't track. It's not on a centralized exchange. They can't figure that out. Well, they, they go back one or two steps to a pro platform. You have KYC and see what you're, you're doing. They're going to get letters or get audited for multiple years. Once they get that deployed, they're not just going to look at going forward. They're going to look back. And there's going to be some people who are going to really, really get hammered hard when that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's important to remember that the blockchain is public, transparent, and permanent. So they <laughs> literally have until the end of the blockchain to figure these things out, which is the benefit of a blockchain, but it's also like a, a mm -hmm. security, privacy, dystopian disaster if you haven't taken proper right. like steps. Um, this stuff is super, super helpful. I have some Q&A from Twitter. Oh, cool. As as Great. as it always goes. So there's, I think what we've covered, we'll we'll cover a lot of these. But one that comes up a lot is on NFTs. So non-fungible mm -hmm. tokens have been huge in the past year. But I hear that that they're not all taxed the same, and their taxation depends on their utility. So collectible versus non-collectible. Mm -hmm. So how should people think about this differences if if that's correct and and like yeah. think through this? Well that's been that's been my contention all along and there's not a, a lot of other people who will, or talk about that because the limited guidance you, there's no actual guidance from the irs but what you'll see most articles talk about is that nfts should be taxed as collectibles that's that's the sort of consensus theory right now and i think for a lot of nfts that's going to be true if you've got an ape or a crypto punk or one of those well there's no they're I guess Ape is becoming a little bit more, they're, they're launching different stuff. So it's not as good of an example as it used to be, but they're not really providing you any utility. You're do it's the same as if you were purchasing a physical collectible, you're, you're purchasing it for its rarity and hoping it appreciates in value, but it's not doing anything. It's, it's a piece of art. But if you look, NFTs can be almost anything. The, the reason the NFT exists can be, there, there's just this really, well, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what they could represent because I'll always give the example. I'm in a discord server where to get in the server, you have to buy the NFT and they verify that, that it's in your wallet and that my membership in that expires at the end of 2022. And then I'm off to buy another NFT if I want to stay in the group. Well, yeah, I'm buying an, an asset theoretically but what i'm really buying is the membership and there's a finite term to it so treating that the same as a collectible nft kind of misses the point of what the nft is being used for and we'll say the same thing with if the metaverse ever launches metaverse nfts or, or play to earn games because there there's there's nfts for all kinds of nft games but i think the best example are is going to be some sort of mmorpg games where you know a war world of warcraft runescape style game 
where you can buy land, a building, a piece of art to hang in your house, a sword that that degrades, a pickaxe that degrades. And all of those, if they were the real world equivalents, would be taxed very differently. The land wouldn't depreciate all. The building would depreciate probably over 40 years if it's a if it's a tavern or something the the sword and the pickaxe you might just expense because they're so much smaller and they've got a very finite life to them so i think what's going to happen is that the irs whenever they do issue guidance they're probably going to say that you can amortize them under what they call section 197 of the the tax code and that defaults to 15 years or the the use if the useful life is less you can prove it it'll it'll amortize over a us longer a shorter period but i think they're going to start with looking at at it as an asset and not particularly favorable terms to try to expense them and i think there's going to be a lot of litigation that comes up over that when people do get audited and the irs tries to disallow it and they say yeah it's it's an nft but it gave me membership to this group for two months that's not it's worthless now so i think we're going to have a lot of that just because NFTs can't, we're already looking at where you've got some tokenization of assets, the real assets that are coming up. I think that's what we're going to see, especially with NFTs, is a lot of contention over how they should be taxed. And I think it's really going to go based on the use case of each NFT. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I just did some quick Googling, but a collectible is taxed at 28%. And that's even, that's at long term. So anything less than a year is still ordinary income. So the difference yeah. there would be quite substantial if you hold it for more than a year and you're taxed at 15 mm -hmm. or 20% versus 28. Right. Interesting. So FTs yeah. are not collectibles. They have utility. That's that's the the drumbeat we have to I mean, be. That, be. That, yeah, that's what that's what you really want. And the way you and it's going to be this whole thing's going to be so fascinating because the regulation that comes is going to change the space. As as we get more court decisions, more guidance, you're going to see the the space pivoting and changing the way their projects work to try to fall into these more favorable categories, like like NFTs. If it's just a piece of art, I think you're going to see NFT projects that start trying to show some utility into the project to to avoid that categorization. Well, not just that categorization. It's a bit of a meme at this point of how much utility your NFT has. So we'll just start highlighting those. But then that probably like treads you more towards a security token. You know, there's there's right. pros and cons well, and of everything. It's, it's going to be, it's the whole thing's going to be really fascinating because as the government tries to get their hands around this and they pass legislation or guidance, if they make it overly broad, it becomes borderline unenforceable unenforceable but if they make it too narrow and when it's narrower that's much easier to enforce you're going to have projects just maneuvering to get around that classification so they're going to have to try to find this sweet spot of co covering their not being so broad that they can actually go and enforce it but broad enough to where it, it's still going to encompass all the the projects that they they intend for it to yeah, I think times indeed. All right. So also on the NFT subject, had a couple questions like, I mean, so with NFTs, if you're kind of in this space, you end up buying a bunch. A lot of them go to zero effectively. There's no market. So like yeah. you want to be able to 
recognize this loss without necessarily having to sell it. So the first question would be like how to do that without like, you know, selling it or sending it to a sale contract. And then the other one would be similar. You know, I have this NFT that I bought that I want to gift to somebody. So how, how can I report that as a loss if it's if it's below the value or, or how to think through these things? I, for you to be able to take the loss, you have to show that you have permanently disposed of, of the asset. So and that, that gets tougher with NFTs than it does with crypto, because if you're just doing tokens and it's down 99%, you can sell it and buy it right back. With an NFT, depending on, it's going to be hard for you to get that specific NFT back. You might be able to buy another one within the same project, but you're not, it, just the lack of liquidity within NFTs, it's much harder to get the exact asset back. But to to show the loss, you have to, dispose of it either by a sale or if the project is pretty much completely dead you send it to a null address that you can't retrieve it but unfortunately that's the only way to get the loss so you have to there has to be a true transaction and in terms of gifting that that's the same as any any other property it's it doesn't really come into play unless i think the gift tax exemption is sixteen thousand dollars this year Unless it you you can gift a person sixteen thousand dollars up to sixteen thousand dollars without any tax consequences. So if you're just wanting to give give it away, you you can do that. You would basically have to keep track of which one. I mean, because you could send it to a null address, like a burn address, and recognize the loss. But if you like send it to a friend's address because you're gifting it and it has zero value, then you know you could note that one because it won't it will show up as a transfer not as a sale in the software but so you have to keep these notes but also if you gift it to somebody and it still has a value of like under 16k you can use that to like offset some gains as well right yeah if you are actually showing that you you were never again ownership of it back you don't want to get cute with that and be like yeah i sold it to my buddy or gifted it to my buddy it needs to be that you really are relinquishing control of it. So that's so on that buddy's income statement. If 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 I so <laughs> this is where my head goes. It's like I gift you a, a a mutant ape that like looks like this, and I write off fifteen k on my thing, and then you on how how's that treated on yours? And then say you gift one back to me of like it's. Also, yeah, I mean, mutant ape, but can... they're very different, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. the term that we always use is that it needs to be what they'd call an arm's length transaction. It needs to be a transaction that actually makes sense with an unrelated third party. At the point when you're doing stuff like that, like, yeah, it's on the it's on the blockchain like that. But it, if you get audited, it's... Again, public you, transparent I, permanent. I, a pretty, pretty poetry yeah, to I, do it. And, okay. and I'm not, I'm not a super conservative on all yeah we're we try to play the gray area and find creative ways to structure things so i'm not opposed to creative thinking and trying to you know push the envelope a little bit but again you don't it needs to it needs to make make sense yeah well i i so how if i gift you a mutant ape and it's worth 15k like i take a minus 15k on my taxes but like for you you've just been gifted an asset that has a value of 15k yeah for how, how the does person for receiving you? it there's no there's no tax consequences until you sell it so you sell it at at, yeah. at 
15k you have a cost basis of zero basically because it was gifted probably okay yeah that makes sense another question that came up was so shifting gears a bit is like income streams that might be subject to self-employment tax so network staking delegated staking validator stuff like that Yeah, so mostly the things that would be subject to self-employment tax, and the only one the IRS has issued specific guidance on is mining income. They've said explicitly that mining income is business income. So the only thing that is close to that is if you're a node operator, at least as it exists now. So our contention is that node operators and mining operations are both going to be subject to self-employment tax. If you're just like, if you're just delegating your tokens, I think that falls much more into sort of like you're receiving dividends. There's not the amount of work you have to do. There's not the infrastructure, but but nodes and mining, self-employment tax. So it can make sense to have your mining income in an LLC and have it taxed as either an S, usually an S corporation. Sometimes a C corporation can make sense because by doing that, you're you're bypassing the self-employment tax. That makes sense. You can see with these questions, well, how this gets so confusing for people. Yeah. Uh, so I totally well, get it. Well, even with with nodes, we've even noted that I think it's there's a fair number, there's a few nodes out there that are basically software licenses or NFTs like masquerading as nodes. Like yep. because strong nodes, I think was a good good example. You weren't actually setting up your own and you know, running it on your own computer or or VPS, you were just, they were, you were renting the server space theoretically from them and just paying them a fee. That's not the same level of complexity and work to be, be a business activity. So most, I'd say real node projects absolutely fall into the business income bucket, but there's a handful of, and you, know, you put air quotes nodes there that, that probably don't. Yeah. Yeah, the other the other one that was super highly relevant in 2021. So in crypto, we do this thing called a retro airdrop, which you know, in layman's terms, is just free money for people that had used the the ecosystem. Yeah, but like the concept here is you get a bunch of tokens sent to your wallet. So obviously. If you sell those and they have a value, you have a taxable gain and your your cost basis is zero, these things and make sense with your holding period. All, all of that stuff makes sense. But there's this funny thing. And actually, well, there's this funny thing that like the price in which you got them or claimed them can be can be different. So, I mean, if I guess if 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 you receive these tokens and then you claim them, Wait, I'm actually yeah. confusing so, myself with this whole this so, whole question. I, I think yeah. I know where you're going with this, though. The the way again, weirdly enough, for all the things Iris hasn't issued guidance on, they they've issued guidance on airdrops and hard forks. They and have? the reason for that, they have. <laughs> nice. Weirdly enough, the reason for it is that back in twenty, they they issued it. Bitcoin, Bitcoin and Ethereum cash. in 2014, that they accounted for at that point 90% of the market cap of the whole crypto market. And both Ethereum and Bitcoin had hard forks in 2014. Five years later, the IRS finally issued some guidance. And they said that if you receive a hard fork, there's a hard fork that results in an airdrop and you receive a new token, then that income is taxable to you upon receipt. So if you got 
some Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum Classic, whatever the value was as of the date that you were able to get, again, that dominion and control when you have full unfettered access to it, that's whatever the fair market value is, that's what you claim as income. But so people will mess up and not realize they need to claim that's income. The other thing that they'll not realize is that your cost basis for that token isn't, isn't zero in those cases. It's actually whatever income you had to claim on the airdrop. So if you get $500 worth of a token, you got to claim $500 of airdrop income. But then when you sell it, your cost basis is that same $500. So you, you if you sell it for $500, you don't have a capital gain. Yeah, because this is where it gets confusing. I mean, there I, I have some buddies that had scam airdrops sent to them and like their tax software when they ran it through, you know, they're looking at the monthly and it's like, in August, I have a $50 million gain. Like, yeah, yeah, what yeah you on earth? So you look in then into it and you're like, oh, I got 50 million tokens of this scam project that was registered yeah. at $1 for, for some reason. I'm too scared to even touch them on my in my wallet because yeah, like you just ignore, could you be just malicious. ignore those. those yes, are, but yeah, but then right. you know, looking right. back, it's like you've got to keep these notes that you eliminated a fifty million dollar gain of this scam token because a, yeah. a, a cursory look at the blockchain using normal price oracles says that you made fifty million dollars that month, which is very significantly different. One would think. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just just ignore those because obviously they're not worth anything so you got airdrop something with zero dollars of value regardless of what the the block explorer wants to say but but it is interesting just because even within and there's just so many little variations even within airdrops when you claim as income varies a little bit it'll, it'll, largely it's based on the mechanism of claiming and the and that's largely sometimes based on the the block chain you're on because yeah. if you're on binance smart chain there are some there's a lot of s coins on that and some of them will just give you partner projects they'll just drop a piddly amount in, yep. in your wallet well those you have full they immediately put in the wallet so you have dominion control you have full unfettered access to sell it so that's when you need to claim the income but if it's on ethereum and you have to go through and actually manually claim the token in most cases, that's when you claim the income because that's when you actually received it and exercised that control over it. Mm. So even with that, there's some variation that comes into the exactly how it's set up, yeah, which, which is, makes it I, all, well, all the more difficult. Uh, yeah, it's and, and I mean, for people listening, you know, this is just your address on one blockchain and you can have, you know, that, that same address across multiple EVM compatible chains. You know, I have. 15 different blockchains in my or sidechains l2s in my metamask yeah. you know so that's like replicated across all of them which yeah. explains why you have such a disaster one other question i had is regarding fbar so crypto which is not currency which is an asset held on an exchange that is overseas should this be reported on, on your fbar not at this point that's probably going to change, but the very limited comments we've gotten from the IRS on it is that it is not subject to it, but basically taxpayers should prepare for that to be the case. There was even one IRS agent, I think he did an interview with Tax Notes, and they even said, you know, it might not be a bad idea if you want to just be extra compliant. You can go, there's no downside to, do, to doing it, but right now it's not required. So I think that will, again, ask 
as this becomes more mainstream, as the government finally kind of figures out how to get their arms around that, they've hinted that they're going to try to get that included. But yeah. right now you don't have to. And for listeners, sorry, I should have defined this. FBAR is foreign bank and financial accounts. So this is what you have to report if you have ownership or like jointly control a, an account outside of the U.S. So I lived outside the U.S. for 10 years. So constantly like any sort of bank account, if it has a, a value over $10,000, yeah. or if you're working for a foreign company that has, and you have director control on, you know, 150 bank accounts, like I once did, you need to report all of those, which is super fun uh, for the fun. treasury department. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was a yeah. surprise. But, you know, where things are going is like, if you have money on Finance, which is dominance out and probably in Malta, but not in the US, you might need to report those going forward, but currently you did not, which is which is interesting. But we're definitely going the way of reporting. So yeah. <laughs> surprise. Micah, this has been super, super helpful. Thank you for going through all of these basics, things to remember, and then like the QA section, which I think was particularly helpful. Where what else do you want to leave my listeners with and where can they find out more about you and frame CPA? Yeah. So it, it's a cliche, but especially in this space and volatility, we you know, talk about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Be proactive during the year and don't wait till the year closes to try to figure this stuff out retroactively. Make sure you're making making this part of your, your ongoing investment strategy dealing with the tax side. If people are looking to reach out to us, they can go to CryptoTaxCPA.com and send us a note there. We also have a book that's the digital version is free on Amazon right now called Decrypting Crypto Taxes. And we structure that largely. Every chapter is pretty much an FAQ that we've gotten. So based on the chapter title, you can, you'll be able to go and get some guidance on the general idea of how each bucket and each activity would be taxed. So I, I encourage them to, to do that because better than a lot of what's out there right now. Oh yeah. And thanks for making that free as a resource. And I'll, I'll link up all these things in the show notes, but I really appreciate it, Micah, and appreciate having you on. There you have it. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate your support. Show notes, transcript, links, and more can be found on our website at altassetallocation.com. If you'd be so kind, please share this with anyone you think might be interested or get some value from this conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out. I'm always happy to hear them. Lastly, if you're on YouTube, please like the video or subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the audio version of this, please subscribe to the podcast and or leave a review. This really helps more people find the podcast and I really appreciate it. Thanks again and hope you have a fantastic day. Happy investing.